how's it going? My name is Mike. Welcome to episode three of Tell You What, the podcast. In this podcast series, I get the opportunity to talk with young singer-songwriters about songwriting, the creative process, and the live music experience. I am very happy to share my music nerd interest in songwriting and live music with you. I encourage you to check out other episodes of Tell You What. You will find out about some other young artists whose music is well worth your time. You can find episodes on iTunes, as well as at our website, tellyouwhatpodcast.com. Our guest for this episode is Brian Powers, who represents one half of the musical duo, Francis Luke Accord. NPR's Mountain Stage program describes them as, quote, the definition of lean-in music, end quote. Their lush arrangements and tight harmonies combine to make music that is at once both delicate and urgent. Brian and Nicholas Gunty, his musical partner in Francis Luke Accord, were both raised in South Bend, Indiana, and attended college there together. Their first release, 2013's Condote, was an intercultural collaboration with the Barefoot Truth Children's Choir in Uganda, a not-for-profit effort which continues to provide support to the choir today. They then released two self-produced EPs, followed by their debut full-length, Fluke, which is a really wonderful album, in 2016. During my chat with Brian, we discuss, among other related things, the Condotate Project, his recently underway experience as artist-in-residence at the Odo Float Studio, and the band's plans for writing and recording their next re- record. You can find out more about Francis Luke Accord at their website, francislukeaccord.com, and their music is on Spotify and iTunes. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Brian Powers of Francis Luke Accord. If the sun goes dark someday And all the stars fall out from space So is me, my enlightened one With no stars and with no sun All right, welcome, Brian. Tell you what, the podcast... Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. The previous interviews I did, um, the other episodes were via the magic of the internet, remote recordings. So you are actually physically present at Tell You What Studios. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I'm glad that we have that opportunity. We'll see if that brings any positive energy. I think it will. To the interchange. Um, so let's get started. Why don't you talk a little bit about your personal background in music? Was there a lot of music? Um, in your house growing up, or what were your first um, exposures to the musical life? Yeah, um, I not a ton of music in my house growing up. I was the um, I started playing piano when I was, uh, or let's say, I, I did about six months of piano lessons when I was six years old, and then never really uh, it didn't stick. Um, I was in the sports, <laughs> so okay. I came back around. I am neither of my parents are musical at all. They they don't really listen to much music around the house I don't it wasn't that's music wasn't something that I recalled really until I have a very specific memory of coming home in eighth grade and uh listening to the radio I don't remember what prompted me to listen to the radio but I think I had heard a song or two that I really liked and so I went to the radio and went on just the top 40 station and I would sit um for like three hours straight until these songs came on came repeat, back around. and so I could listen to them again. 
Do you yeah. remember what any of those first songs one were? One of them was a Nickelback song. One of them was a Three Doors Down song. <laughs> no and, judgment. And no judgment. And the other one was uh, a some song that Santana was featured on. I don't remember who the artist was. But well, there were but, a few of those. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, and then so that was in eighth grade was really the uh, time that I remember uh, kind of like falling in love with you know a song or music in general and then it was at that time when my mom uh, that same fall of eighth grade where my mom uh, encouraged me to take guitar lessons um, and I actually begrudgingly accepted to do it uh, to take guitar lessons. Did any of your so, piano lessons come back to you when you did that? No because I was <laughs> yeah I didn't take them for long enough when I was six but I uh, I decided to take guitar lessons at my mom's encouragement uh, on the um, uh, account that I would be able to not go out of town with my family and play in a soccer tournament that I really wanted to play in and sleep <laughs> over at my friend's house. Unless you put, went to guitar lessons. Yes. Okay. So I had to agree to go, to go to guitar lessons if I was going to play in the soccer tournament. Why was it important to your mother that you play guitar? I'm not sure. Okay. But I'm very grateful that it was important to her. <laughs> so, yeah. So then I, I took about a year and a half of guitar lessons um, and then quit. Uh, and then I took about six, a couple months of guitar, of piano lessons in high school. Um, and that's more or less the extent of my um, taking lessons right. in music. Self-taught besides that. So when did you get the burning desire to make music um to I, I wrote my first song towards the end of high school and i think i really fell in love with it and started writing a lot more in college okay um i did play in a um a cover band in high school um so when you took started taking guitar lessons that was of your own yes I and record. i started yeah so i definitely started playing guitars somewhat consistently okay. when i was around 13 um, and then started writing songs around 16 and really fell in love with it around probably 18 or 19. So when you started writing the songs, when did you start performing them? How much, how long, much time passed? Um, I, well, I think we, let's see, uh, actually performing the original songs. Um, I think toward, towards the end of high school, there were a couple shows in which I played a couple of my own songs. I think senior year would have been the first time that I performed maybe two or three original mm. songs. These have been standard issue rock type songs of the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely Dave Matthews influenced. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Dylan influenced. Yeah. And how about uh, live music? Did we do? Were you a big fan of live music in those days? Did you go to shows or? Um, not in high school. I, I remember my first concert being uh Humphreys McGee okay. uh they're from South Bend also another Notre Dame band so you grew up in South Bend uh I moved there for high school so okay. the beginning of uh yeah my music journey was I consider to be in South Bend um went to uh an Humphreys McGee concert my beginning of my sophomore year of uh of high school mm -hmm. and then went to a number of their shows throughout the end of high school so then saw Dave Matthews band a number of times and uh, I started going to more concerts in college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you get to college and you meet Nicholas. Yes. Yeah, so I actually met Nick at the very end of high school. 
uh, senior year. And one of the first times that I performed my own songs uh, was actually a show that I played with Nick. It was this odd little uh, thing where Nick was dating one of my friends. He went, he went to the rival Catholic high school in South Bend. He went to rival Catholic high schools. And, uh, and then I remember... Uh, my friend telling me about her boyfriend, Nick, who was an extremely talented uh, musician, mm -hmm. uh, songwriter. And I remember going over to uh, Nick's parents' house and uh, seeing him play uh, my senior year and being super impressed. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Nick started um, around fifth or sixth grade, I think, and started writing maybe around eighth grade. Um, and so he was way, 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 way better than me. Um, and I was super impressed mm -hmm. uh, with him, and um, and yeah, and then we decided we ended up playing this show senior year of high school, and then uh, became really good friends um, in the beginning of college. You um, both grew up in South Bend, and both went to Notre Dame. That's true. Okay. Yes, that's correct. Um, and so, really became really good friends early on in college. Uh, definitely, you know, both of our mutual loves for uh, you know songwriting and music in general. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of when you find someone that has the same obsession as you, you inevitably. <laughs> right. So when did you start actually performing together? Um, first time we ever performed together, I think, was uh, sophomore year, or at least, well, yeah. We didn't perform together as Francis Luke Accord until senior year, but we did play a handful of open mics together as sophomore and junior year at the local Irish pub and then also on campus. Let's talk about the... Um collaborative process that you and Nick have as part of Francis Luke Accord. Um, do you each write songs uh, to their conclusion separately? At what point do you bring them to each other and, and, and how does that generally work? Um, it's very rare that a song gets, uh, actually it's, yeah, it, it doesn't happen that a song is completely 100% finished before it's brought to the other person. There are rare instances where um, one of us will get a song to 95%, um, you know, mostly on the rare occasion that the song, the melody comes, you know, very, very quickly. And it's a, it's usually kind of a short folk pop song mm -hmm. and it doesn't really need that much. Um, simple structure, lyrics are, are, the ideas for lyrics are there and then it'll just be a couple of, you know, lyrical edits or maybe like we'll talk about a bridge or something like that. Right. But that's very rare. Um, it's usually one of, um, each of us brings an idea that's usually somewhere in the range of like 50%, uh, maybe 70 or 80% done. Um, the idea for the song, the, stru the structure is not necessarily there, but, uh, the core melodies are there, or at least the core melodies, uh, or yeah, the core melodies are there. They haven't necessarily been tweaked yet, but. Um, you can kind of see what the song might look like, and mm -hmm. then we'll um, we'll be our each other's editors uh, from there. Um, but it's usually so. So really, a process is one of two writers and two editors. Right. So it's not as though one of you is the more of the lyricist, or one of you is more of the melodic uh, contributor. Yeah. No, we both we both do all of it. Mm -hmm. um, Nick is. Uh, been more prolific than I. Nick is more prolific than I am. Okay. Um, but we both do. Uh, we both do all of it. Right. Um, Did that um, take you 
some time but you were writing songs on your own before that and now you're writing with someone was there a process you had to go through to be able to open yourself up to working with someone else and expose your half-finished ideas to another person or was that a natural progression um you know i think it was a pretty natural progression for both of us because through um you know our uh our friendship and just you know talking about music for years and years and years we both you know have we all these strong opinions about what we think, um, you know, is necessary for, you know, a song to be a good song. And Mm -hmm. so we'll, uh, because we, you know, we'll talk about, you know, albums and other people's songs, uh, you know, about what we like, what they did there, you know, we love that turn of phrase or that, you know, that bridge just really, really makes that, you know, connects everything together on that song. Right. Um, We, I think, have a pretty, yeah, neither of us feel... Um, like we are opening ourselves up to mm-hmm. too much when we're in the editing process. Um, some of your songs have fairly complex arrangements, both vocally and musically. So when you're writing one of these songs, are you thinking about the arrangement as you write it, or or is that something that happens when you and Nick sit down to actually do the recording? Do you figure out those complex kind of arrangements? Uh, we both... Um, definitely take arrangement into account when we're writing um inevitably though the arrangement you know gets flushed out once the song is actually finished um and so, but yeah or you have to have some kind of arrangement in mind um and we both use uh logic as a writing tool um okay. so it's you know we once once you get an initial melody we'll record it you might try it at a couple different tempos um and then you might you know throw some initial rhythm tracks underneath it uh if it's that kind of song Um, were you multi-track vocal too with yourself or um usually not in the writing phase just because it's um that stuff kind of comes at the end Mm -hmm. but uh but the initial rhythm and maybe initial instrumentation um is generally part of the demo that we're showing each other when we're going into our critique sessions right so you uh, perform as a duo, usually, or um, almost always yeah, as a duo? Yeah, yeah. Not always as a duo. We're going to start playing as a four-piece um, next year okay. quite a bit more and have a little bit in the past. Well, right. Because the, the, the question I have is, as I, as I said, a lot of your songs have rather complex arrangements. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though when you have performed live as a duo, sacrifices have to be made to those arrangements to reproduce them, or... Or are you able to produce something live that you think is, is an adequate representation of what you have recorded? Um, I think we always try to make it as... Uh, we work really hard on the live arrangements as a mm-hmm. duo. Uh, inevitably, there's going to... You know, we don't... Um, we totally write a lot of our uh, finished tracks, especially in Fluke, you know, might have 20 or, you know, 30 tracks. Right. Um, uh, and we you know, not, are not at a place in our band where we can hire, uh, hire people to play all those sounds, exactly all those sounds. Um, and so we do, we try as hard as we can to make the arrangement work, but we're also firm believers in the fact that an album is a very different thing than the live show. Right. And we want them to be distinct. Uh, we're not the kind of band that just wants to replicate exactly what's on the album. When we go to, when we go to concerts, we are, musical palettes want to see something 
uh, yeah, that's not just replication. So yeah, so this this is a question I usually ask is how does the your live experience as a fan influence how you record and perform music? You've kind of just answered that aspect in one aspect. Is there anything else that you take in as live music fans that, that has influenced you either as a writer or a performer? Definitely as a performer, for yeah. sure. And I, th- I think it's, um, they're very different, but um, at the same time, I think what, when you're, um, thinking about how to imply, you know, what you like about somebody else's live show or what you like about somebody else's record to your own craft. Um, it's just paying really close attention to what they're doing and to the elements that you think they're doing well and, uh, that, you know, you could try to institute into your own, um, you know, your own process. Are so there any live performers that, that you think have influenced the way you approach that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I would say probably the biggest was um, live band that's uh, had the biggest impact on us is probably um, Darling Side because we, you know, they're also the band that we've seen play the most, having right. played 25 or shows with them or whatever it was. Uh, they have their live act down pat, and it's uh, we feel very lucky to have uh, gotten to see them so many times. Right. I recently live. took in one of their shows. They are very uh, entertaining. Yes. And um, they really bring, seem they bring their personalities to the show. Definitely. Definitely. Banter, um, we've learned, uh, banter is such an important part of the show, we've realized. And um, that's, I think, something that a lot of performers don't don't understand, but the Darling Side very much understands it. Uh, to the point of it almost being a... a uh, a comedy a show. Skit, just a skit show in totally. between with music in between. Yes, exactly, exactly. And we, you know, we obviously don't, um, you know, we don't want to do exactly what they do and we can't because we're only two guys and right. they have four, you know. But I think the, those guys have done a great job of uh, of understanding each other's roles and how they can um, bring some sketch to the, uh, to the stage. Yeah. Um, well, you guys did a great show here at, at, at Tell You oh, What Studios. Yeah. It was a great house show. Thanks for having us. <laughs> it was very entertaining, so so you're on the right track, I think, thank as you. far <laughs> as working the room. Um, so you talked a little bit about the live performance and the recorded product that you, the art that you produce being kind of, you think of them as somewhat two different things. Yeah. When you're writing a song, when you have an idea in your head, are you specifically thinking about it in one venue or the other either as a live performance or a recorded piece or is it just a song unto itself that will have these two lives that's a really good question um i think it's usually just the song as having a life in it on its own you mm-hmm. know and then we'll kind of figure it out. like if the, the idea being that if the song has a good life on its own we'll be able to make you know make it into what it needs to be for the live show and for for an album mm-hmm. um so i think it's that yeah when sitting, sitting down to write the the goal is definitely that how can i just make this song the best you know what it can be mm-hmm. and then we'll figure out how to you know bring it to the different mediums uh just to circle back uh a bit nicholas when, when i saw you uh, perform here used a loop it, looper looping yeah. pedal is that something you think you would choose to do if you had a more full uh, band with you or is it something to um, kind of take the place of other uh, 
musicians. The loop definitely helps take the place, like fill out our duo arrangement uh, mm-hmm. when we're not able to play with other people. Um, and fortunately, Nick is is very good at it. Right. Uh, and he he's Nick has a um, he's a drummer. Uh, he started out on drums oh, actually, okay. and so that uh, has uh, that he that's skill set has uh, really really helped in um, in laying you know rhythm foundations to some of our songs that really just need a Right. They need their rhythm backbone that you know we we don't have when we are touring as a duo. Uh, yeah. So yes, in short, I think and I think when we're playing with as a four piece, we'll use the loop uh, less and less. Okay. But it's nice that modern technology can give you that totally flexibility. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. All right, so we're going to change tracks here and let's talk about where you were before you came here today. Sweet. <laughs> um, why don't you? try and give an introduction and we'll see if we can get an understanding for our audience of what you what you were up to yeah so i just uh, came from the wonderful world of the sensory deprivation tank uh, <laughs> over at odo float which is just a uh, 15 minute walk uh, from here i met tate who's the owner of odo float um, here in wilmette uh, at the house show that we did uh, you introduced us right. and she offered us uh, free floats before the show um, if we would uh, maybe say a few words about it during the show and of course um, agreed to do that and both absolutely loved it and so we got talking to her afterwards and she's Tate is very interested um, in the effects that sensory deprivation tanks and floating have on uh, creativity um, just how they affect the body and the mind and um, particularly during times uh, of writing um, I mean we are both uh, pretty interested in that as well. Um, right. Just how to how how can you tweak your um, uh, your body and just your you know your daily life to get more out of yourself. And mm-hmm. so Tate was um, so kind to offer us um, both an artist in residence at uh, Odo Float. And so I'm the one who benefits more than Nick because I live in Chicago and right. Nick lives in Philadelphia. But uh, so I've been going to f- uh, Float. Um, at Odo Float in the sensory deprivation tank uh, every Monday afternoon, and I'm super grateful for it. I feel my mind feels clear, my body feels uh, rejuvenated. It's um, a wonderful thing. Yes, if I can inter- interject for a second, uh, Tate runs Odo Float, as Brian mentioned. It's in Wilmette, Illinois, and I am a also a very enthusiastic client of Odo Float. I think she runs a, a, a state of the art operation, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Definitely. So as artists in residence, the idea is that you will use the floats as maybe a launching pad for the, your creative process. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. And maybe not launching pad, but also um, or just more of a um, enhancer, okay. I would say, because you can't rely on any one thing to, right. to launch uh, your, you know, being uh, creative. And... Well, let, let's take a step back then. Previous to... This experience, um, obviously, you've been writing songs and, and thinking about that process for a number of years. Where do you think your ideas come from? Some people think they're out in the ether and I latch on to these things. Some think they're in my brain and I need to get hold of them. Or what's your what do you, what's your thinking on that? Um, my well, my thinking is changing a lot actually. Because so, so for the first time ever, I really this summer is when I consider myself to be or i have the time to be a full-time writer like okay. i you know maybe have one day a week where 
I'm dealing with business stuff mm-hmm. uh, that I need to take care of for FLA. But, you know, the other four days are dedicated to, to writing. Um, whereas in the past, you know, the last, uh, actually, yeah, we just hit the five-year mark of when we moved to Chicago to start this band. And um, the first, really the first uh, four and a half years have been so focused on getting the band off the ground um and my personal role in in the band or how our jobs are are split is i've uh kind of held all the managerial duties Mm -hmm. uh in addition to um, booking all of our um our tours and live shows and so as you can imagine it's a lot of time on the computer right um and so really the first uh the last four and a half years or so i haven't spent a lot of time songwriting and so I didn't really have a process because my day was so focused on being on a computer, you know, and doing what I needed to do on that end of things. So now that I'm, I'm learning new things every week, uh, in regard to how, um, you know, I think I can get better at the process. Um, but what I'm topically speaking, um, in regard to lyrics and what, you know, what songs are about, I'm finding that I found that you have to, when you come across an idea, you just, you have to document it. Um, it doesn't work to like, you know, try to come up with a melody and then sit down and be like, what am I going to write about? Like you, there needs to be some ideas there that you've uh, in the library, in the library that you can kind of look at and you know, you already have some thoughts on them. Um, and so just documenting what you're, you know, you're experiencing in life. Um, so journaling, journaling, I, I recently started journaling, um, just stream of consciousness for, 20 minutes or so every morning mm-hmm. and uh, that that's helped a lot too of just kind of the morning right or something as, as it's I would called, encourage right? that to, for anybody right. uh, who, who doesn't do it it's really a wonderful thing that I just started doing mm-hmm. and I'm really into at the moment but yeah documenting uh, ideas for for songs is I found is really mm-hmm. important I'm going to press you on the question again where do you think the ideas come from um life yeah yeah just observation observation um reading Mm -hmm. um conversations uh whether it's with you know my fiance or it's you know something conversation that nick and i had in the car on tour you know um Mm -hmm. so how so far do you see the float experience obviously you're still early in this process but how do you see the experience um affecting you as you as you make your way as a writer in i think uh floating is a really 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 phenomenal way to slow down you know when when tour is happening and stuff like that i just find that you know life is going very fast and it's uh, so to have time carved out of your week to literally just lay in water and let your mind kind of wander and relax um is you know it's there's endless um research out there that shows that you know when you're most relaxed that's when you have your best ideas Mm -hmm. you know people talk about having great ideas on the toilet you know or in the shower right um and i've am a firm believer in that i think it's harder and harder to you know carve out that time i i think that floating um for me is definitely a great time to just force myself into that that pod <laughs> to do nothing you know for for any listeners who might not be familiar you are literally floating in about 10 inches of water that is super saturated with epsom salts yeah. right so you are floating deader than the dead sea deader right? than the dead yeah. sea 
and in a pod so there is no other stimulation so sound there you can ha request your own sound be piped in but there's no external noise it's dark and you literally I, I can speak from experience you kind of lose touch with the feeling in the rest of your body because the air and the water are the same temperature there's no pressure on any part of your body because you're floating right yeah so, so they're really the external stimuli are almost gone gone yeah yeah so uh, maybe you're not ready to answer this question, but have specific ideas come to you in your floats as of yet, do you think? Um, I don't think that there's been... So I just finished my third float. Okay. And so I'm definitely... And actually in this last float, I ended up uh, falling asleep mm -hmm. uh, during it because, again, the lights are out and you're, you're just laying in water. And uh, I, I, fell, I didn't sleep super well last night, and so I, I fell asleep a little bit and then awoke abruptly... As I uh, thrashed about, <laughs> thrashed about, and, <laughs> and realized where the hell I was, but uh, um, so I don't think I've, I've had an aha moment yet from floating. But I do think that floating, and I think you probably agree with this, is something that uh, you know it's practice. You get you get better at with time, and uh, and I'm gonna do my darndest to not fall asleep next time. Yeah. Well, the, the the musical world awaits the results of this interesting project yeah, that you yeah. and Tate have embarked upon. Um, let's talk about some specific songs, if we could, yeah. um, and get your thoughts maybe on, on the origin story of them um, from the uh, album Fluke, the song On the Road. So that's an eight-minute long song. It has a long musical intro section. There are some strings, another vocal section, and it progresses from there with kind of an increasing energy or an intensity mm -hmm. so are we literally on the road with you is it a musical journey is that is that the the, the impression that you're trying to give with that um yes uh, not necessarily with us um, we wrote it um with the syrian refugee crisis in mind okay. um that's, that was uh so yeah that we wrote that song um and uh february of 2016 is the last one that um that we were writing for fluke um that's on the road is a reference to you know somebody you know a syrian refugee trying to get out so that the increasing Saturday. tension kind of building in the song is that kind of urgency of the refugee yes yeah um kind of almost feels like you're at war um mm -hmm. at the end of the song which right. is we were kind of going for
talk about David. Yeah. And so David, there now I could be way off base here, but there's some sax and piano parts on there that kind of have a jazzy kind of mm-hmm. feel to them. But I thought I detected maybe some influence of something we're going to talk about in a minute from your time in Africa, maybe sonically or rhythmically in the mm-hmm. background. Am I am I maybe on target there? Uh, I don't know about David, but um, but we are, have definitely been hugely influenced by that trip to Africa and mm-hmm. are just both are big suckers for uh, world music in general. Okay. Uh, and I guess suckers is not the right word, or not the right word, but we are fans. Yeah, big fans yes. of, of world music and so like to, yeah, explore different sounds. Um, the the lyrics, the, one of the repeating lines is there, it says, freedom only walks so far. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that or is that um, left to the listener? I want to leave that up to the okay. listener, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can let that go. So you can fill us in on this project. A few years ago, you and Nick went to Uganda to work with a children's choir. Can you talk a little bit about that project? And, and... Yeah, um, that was uh, kind of the project that um, really um, put us on the track to doing music um, post-college. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it happened our senior year of college. Um, and uh, really wonderful ex- experience going over uh, there for two and a half weeks. Um, we recorded with uh, the Barefoot Truth Children's Choir in the Masaka region of Uganda in the small town of Kindu Village, which is a town of only about 700 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so super rural, down a dirt road kind of thing. Um, and cannot say enough about the, uh, you know, the, the choir, the, the individuals that we worked with. It's an immensely uh, formative um, project for us, and it's also um, a not-for-profit endeavor. Uh, we've uh, been sending every dollar from album sales back uh, to the choir and to the hopeful school, which is the school that um, the majority of the kids uh, attended. So, so the choir has benefited in the years since you were there from the proceeds of yes. album sales. And yes, you know we have conversations um, uh, with John Kikandi, who's the um, I guess the individual who's uh, most present, I guess, and I'm not sure, I don't want to put a title on him, but he's kind of the, the leader down there. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and so, you know, we talk about what, what the hopeful school needs, what the, what the, the choir needs and right. kind of uh, allocate the, the money as he sees uh, necessary. So you went there with recording equipment what actually happened in terms of what you did there, recorded there, and then produced as an album? How did that, what was the sequence of events that, that 
brought about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we brought uh, a little field recording rig over there and really just recorded their um, choral, their their chorus parts. And so we would, um, you know, teach them teach them the melodies and the the lyrics. We recorded all of the uh, ancillary instruments. Um, back home at after next, yeah after the fact um but so so really the you know we what we what we needed there was just their voices and then okay. we would overdub the rest of the instruments um but we yeah also um ended up putting one of uh one of the choir songs on the record they you know, the first day that we got there um they all performed for us uh and we really really fell in love with this one song in particular amaholo mm -hmm. um, which is both of nick and my favorite uh, track on that record Okay, so the song Candote, which translates to, I believe, My Long Lost Brother. Do I have that um, right? And or I Dream. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I have my notes mixed up. Yeah, and that's I dream. okay. <laughs> but there are lyrics, My Long Lost Brother Once Removed, and We Are One Blood. So mm -hmm. was this song written as a reflection on your time there? Definitely. Yeah, kind of a synopsis, I guess. Um, the thesis, I guess, if you will, of that project of... Um, yeah, we are one blood with these these people that live a world away, you know. So this, you recorded this song start to finish after you returned as kind of a, um, a look back on your experience there. Yeah, so Condote was um, one of the few songs uh, that we actually wasn't wasn't done. We we had a handful of songs that were done. We knew we wanted uh, for Condote. We I remember being. I had written this, uh, the verse, you know, the verse melody, um, but wasn't sure what to do for a chorus. And I remember writing a vocal melody to the chorus while we were um, in the village. And our guides, um, uh, Andrew Musambi, uh, is, um, was our main guide's name. And we asked him, you know, here's the melody. Can you write uh, some lyrics in Luganda? You know, here's the uh, the general idea. Here are the lyrics to the rest of the song in English because he's he spoke he speaks English as well. Okay. Um, and so he actually wrote the lyrics to that chorus, oh, okay. um, which fully translated um, uh, means "And I dream of being one together, for we are one blood." And I just think he really nailed that. My long lost brother, twice removed, darker than the night, sang. But I couldn't understand But he smiled a smile from my father's side True as the day Soft as the rain Kind of 
sometime. We really, really want to. Yeah, we really want to. Um, unfortunately, uh, we don't have the financial means right. at, at the moment. Uh, yeah, being in a folk band doesn't really uh, <laughs> leave for a lot of... <laughs> Yeah, extra maybe funds. Bon, maybe Bono will lend you his jet. Yeah, <laughs> but it's definitely a band goal. We we mm. really really want to, and we are in in good touch with them. And actually, Andrew Masambi um, uh, just went back to Kindu Village to to meet with John Kakandi, our mm-hmm. um, kind of the the main you know the leader of of Kindu, I guess, or of the choir. Um, and the choir is still just, going strong. Yeah, still going strong. So yeah, Andrew just went back a couple weeks ago, and yeah. It's what a great experience. Yeah, really great. Um, I'm super grateful for it. I can't say enough about those people. Having music as the fabric of your life, that was a pretty good example of how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Let's Very move on. Let's it. talk about your plans for the for the next album. Uh, you already talked about how this is the first time you are kind of committing yourself to the writing life, right? Yeah. And is Nicholas doing the same thing? Yes, yes, yeah. So we both yeah, are in full writing mode. It's separate parts of the country. Right. So when you've written before, you've been in the same city, and this time you are not. Is um, that right? Or? Uh, yes. Um, but we've always kind of written. I, I actually think we're far more productive in, uh, now that we're not living together. Um, <laughs> partially because, you know, our band's at a different place. We don't have to. It was very. We weren't spending a ton of time writing together when we were actually living together in Chicago because there was so much focus on getting the band off the ground and right. you know, and performing, playing, performing a right. ton, and uh, so that was the really. It was it was essential to live together, figure out all of our systems, and figure out the live show. But now, but we still were writing songs mostly separately right. and then you know talking so in that about sense the, the process isn't that much different the, and yeah and once again technology the exactly. technology allows you to call co- collaborate totally yeah so are you not planning on doing any shows over this writing period we're going to do a little stretch of house shows mm-hmm. just to make some money in october um <laughs> october so that's a few months so a few months of no no shows yeah no shows at all and then hopefully no shows we're trying our hardest to keep no shows in november december and january as well if we get any support dates that uh we should really take them we'll do them but right. uh but we found that we're i know some bands can write on the road mm-hmm. but we just find that we can't they're, yeah, yep. they're totally different muscles, and we just don't have the, we just can't figure it out <laughs> how no. to do it on the road. So, um, so, do you two have an intention as to where the musically this album will go? Or are you just gonna see which way you end up traveling in terms of are you taking a different path than your previous music intentionally? Um, I don't think it's gonna be too much different. Um, you know, we're at the point now where there's we we have a kind of a, maybe five or six songs that you know they look they're either close to being done or you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel for them um and they're not uh yeah they're in somewhat of the same vein as fluke maybe a little bit more on the folk side of things right. um but uh yeah we're not gonna throw out an electronic record for this next <laughs> for this next one i saw bonnie so. Verrick last night oh yeah they, How threw, was that? they threw out an electronic record that was a big change yeah yeah uh, so it was pretty interesting to see him slash them perform what used to be a folk act and with full 
Last electronics. It was interesting. It's a huge production, right? <laughs> Big production. Lots of vocal transformations happening. Yeah. In it. So it was cool. Um, so I, I, I won't wait for your version of that. <laughs> no, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to. Um, so these songs will, as you write them and record them, maybe will not have been performed live or not that many times, yeah. which is a change from the previous yeah from the from from fluke and not yeah. not for all the songs on fluke but um but definitely we performed a number of them live before uh but but yeah for this next record i don't we won't have performed any of them live and we're just kind of trying to figure out how to um, make them songs for an album and then we'll figure out how to play them live after that so this is a kind of a pretty exciting time for you super exciting yeah. i am yeah i it's can't like wait a, to wake up every morning and uh get to it i feel it's very like lucky. a gift you guys have been able to give yourselves for this period of time yes stoked about it i have one unrelated question the reason i discovered you guys is because i noticed you were on a list of acts that have played on the mountain stage uh, that i was just came across in my internet stumblings so that's quite a must have been quite an experience for you to play there. Um, yeah. For our listeners that don't know, Mountain Stage is kind of is a radio show from West Virginia. It's it's similar in stature, I would say, to playing the Grand Ole Opry, um, kind of maybe with a wider variety of acts, maybe tilted more towards the Americana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, folk. Yeah. Right. So so so, what kind of experience was that for 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 you all to play? Oh man, we we were definitely very <laughs> both got. Uh, we don't really get nervous for shows, but I we definitely <laughs> both. I remember coming off of stage from that. We both think that we we're like, oh, damn. Yeah, I was nervous. <laughs> I didn't realize that, you know, but uh, super fun. Uh, really wonderful experience. This, the the Mountain Stage crew cannot, they're just great people. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they do a really wonderful job. Um, but yeah, definitely an honor to, to play it. For Certainly sure. a feather in your cap. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one final big question. You can take your time with this one. If you take a step back and think about your intentions as a songwriter and a musician, why you do it, um, what you're striving for, is there maybe a guiding principle or a goal in the back of your mind that you're trying to achieve, whether it's attainable or not, but something maybe that you shoot for? Um, So maybe you could complete the sentence, I would ultimately like to create something that... Um, I think the goal of, I think, is timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, the goal, I think, is to write something that, you know, really the human spirit can really latch onto. Um, and I think if you can do that and have someone 100 years from now or 200 years from now really feel it, mm-hmm. then I think that's, that would be, um, that would be the goal. It's, I mean, it's obviously extremely hard to do. Um, also hard to measure. So hard to measure. Yes, it's so yeah, it's so hard to measure. Yeah, and really, you want to, you know, make people feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the feel something positive. Right. Um, yeah, bring someone joy. All right, I think that's, the, that's we'll ex- the goal. We'll accept that answer. Um, cool. Brian, thank you very much for taking the time here at Tell You What studios thank you for having me this has been a blast it's, yeah i really enjoyed this it's fun for me too and, and we look forward to hearing more about the floating project i know i do <laughs> yeah. but um, most of us in the audience look forward to more music from you both um, thank you this this project you're embarking on this writing project uh, i think will 
turn out very well. Thank you. It sounds exciting. I hope so. so good luck with that. We'll see. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Tell you what. I hope you enjoyed episode three of Tell You What the Podcast. I know I did. You can find more Francis Luke Accord on Spotify or iTunes or at FrancisLukeAccord.com. At their site, there's more info about the wonderful Condo Tape project we discussed, which supports the Barefoot Children's Choir in Uganda. You can purchase the Condo Tape album there to support the project. There's also info about making a direct donation. If you want to find out more about Otofloat, Flotation Therapy Center, where Brian is currently an artist in residence, their website is otofloat.com. They're located just down the road from Tell You What Studios here in Wilmette, Illinois. The owner-operator, Tate Medina, runs a state-of-the-art studio. It's wonderfully designed and outfitted. I really cannot recommend it strongly enough. As a regular there, I find the experience an incredible combination of mental and physical relaxation and rejuvenation. Please check out our other episodes via iTunes or at tellyouwhatpodcast.com. Keep an eye out in the future for more great conversations with young singer-songwriters. Until then, remember, music is the best. How am I-